Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, well, I want to reiterate that this morning. As a church, what a great week of victory we have had, in spite of all the, the bad things, how it started at the beginning of the week. But then, uh, man, over these last few days, incredible. So many people coming and hearing the gospel, hundreds, actually thousands, over a thousand for sure, probably around 1,500 people over these three days. Pray, and then many praying to receive Jesus. I'll give the report of how many marked the card in, in, the, in the service. But praise the Lord for all these wonderful things. I'm so amazed. But as we go into the book of Jeremiah this morning, I wanna, I'm thinking, you know, it's amazing to think that Jeremiah never had that. <laughs> he didn't have 1,500 people show up and listen to uh, him with bated breath. He had really, there was nobody who repented in his ministry. 40 years of preaching, 40 years of trying to help people come out of their sin and escape the judgment of God, and really, nobody listened. It's one of the saddest books of the entire Bible, really. Now, this is our 22nd week in the book of Jeremiah. We're coming closer to the end here, and I know you've felt it too. It's mostly doom and gloom. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah preaches, the people don't listen. Jeremiah preaches, the people don't listen. <laughs> Jeremiah preaches, the people don't listen. It's on and on for 40 years. It gets very discouraging after a while <clears throat> when you're trying to obey the Lord and things just get worse and worse and worse. <laughs> you look around in the state of California, I'm thinking about this, and I think this is kind of like living in California. It gets discouraging after a while. Quick example here. Broke my heart this week. I, there hasn't been something that's come along that I've seen that's, I start reading through it and has broken my heart this much. This new bill, AB 2223, that they're talking about regarding abortion. This is beyond comprehension. It really, it could literally protect people who kill their babies after birth. It's infanticide, really. As, as the law is written right now, you... You could neglect your child, if they pass this, you can neglect your baby after it's born and not be prosecuted. And any, any of your friends who help you abort that child or, or after birth kill that child, you, you would not be prosecuted. It's unbelievable. And here's what one attorney said. In California, under AB 2223, former Philadelphia abortionist Kermit Gosnell, you might remember that his story about him, who murdered three infants born alive after botched abortions, could not be prosecuted. And incredibly, someone like Gosnell, who helped a California mother kill her newborn birth, uh, after birth, will actually have a cause of action to sue police for investigating the matter if AB 2223 becomes law. I, my, my heart was just sinking as I was reading through this and this whole council on the future of abortions that Governor Newsom uh, signed last year, and they've come up with 41 
suggestions for our state on how we could help uh, the future of abortions here because so many states are going to get rid of abortion they feel like we, we need to become a, an abortion sanctuary. I see things like that. When I look at things like this, you talk about offering children to Molech. There's never been a more similar comparison in America, in my opinion. But I see things like this and I sometimes feel tired. I feel like there's no rest from the onslaught of wickedness. I feel grief over people that I know and I love who are going down the road of wickedness and the pain of knowing that the judgment is to come and they're gonna face it. The bad news from this wicked world just doesn't seem to let up. No matter how much we do, how much we're going, it sometimes just seems like it's not gonna let up. If you ever feel this way, then you're gonna be able to identify with the man that we're gonna look at today in the book of Jeremiah. If you ever feel deeply discouraged, if you ever feel like you're in a pattern of despondency, if you ever feel like you're stuck in sadness for any reason, really, then you're gonna identify the man we're gonna look at today. His name is Baruch. And this is a sweet little chapter, Jeremiah chapter 45. It's only five verses, <laughs> very short. It's a sweet little chapter with huge amount of encouragement. By the way, the word encouragement, the word encouragement means to infuse with courage. And that's exactly what this short chapter does. We are gonna be infused with courage this morning when we read this. The name Baruch means blessed. In fact, it's the first word spoken in pretty much every Jewish prayer, even today. J Baruch was the secretary or the transcriber or the scribe for Jer Jeremiah. He was his right-hand man. For all these years, he has been Jeremiah's assistant. He stayed by his side. Several times, you see, I think his name is mentioned about 31 times in the book of Jeremiah. For all these years, he, you see him in a few times, he actually pops up in the story and plays a predominant role. But he is, he is very predominant in the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations because he is the one who penned it and then preserved it. He was a faithful man, a loyal friend to a hated prophet. He stuck, stuck by his side. And even in the hardest moments, in Jeremiah's imprisonments, it was, it was Baruch who was his friend. Baruch is the reason that we have Jerem the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations. And thank the Lord for detail people like this. <laughs> Just If you're a detail person, good job. The Lord uses detail people. And something really interesting, I also, as I was studying this, and I had not known, but Baruch happens to be the only man that we know of in the Old Testament who has been fingerprinted. In 1975, a group of archaeologists, they purchased some clay documents, uh, actually clay document markers from an Arab antiquities dealer, these clay marks that they would put on uh, in documents back then. And they didn't start to decipher these markers until 1986, and then from what I understand, it wasn't until 1995 or so that they actually discovered on one of these clay markers, there was the fingerprint of Baruch. Now, go ahead and show that. You can't see it in here, but I guess up in the right-hand corner, as they you know, closely inspect this, they realize there is a fingerprint there. And this is the seal of Baruch, son of Neriah. It says in these 
in, the, in Hebrew here. But there's a fingerprint on it, and almost everybody says that's got to be the fingerprint of Baruch. The point is here that Baruch was a real person. We're not talking about some figment of an imagination back in the day. This is a real person with real challenges, real feelings, real fingerprints, <laughs> and real faithfulness in the middle of a really dark world. This short chapter is all about him. A message from God to this one personal assistant named Baruch. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 45. I'm going to read all, all the way through all five verses, and then we're going to break it down. Jeremiah 45, verse 1. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spake unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book at the mouth of Jeremiah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto thee, O Baruch, Thou didst say, Woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. Thus shalt thou say unto him, The Lord saith thus, Behold, that which I have built will I break down, and that which I have planted I will pluck up, even this whole land. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. But thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. So let's look at what's going on here in this chapter, verse by verse. Verse 1. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spake unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written these Words in a book at the mouth of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah. The words here are from earlier on in Jeremiah's ministry, as it says, the fourth year of Jehoiakim. So chronologically, it, this should come after maybe, let's say, chapter 36. Uh, we're, we've already kind of gone through all of Jeremiah's prophecies uh, to Judah, and so we're coming close to the end of his life. But Baruch himself is probably the one who actually puts this prophecy in this place, in this order in the book of Jeremiah. So he's, and it seems in the book of Jeremiah that he kind of moves from theme to theme. The book of Jeremiah itself is kind of all over the place chronologically. And he kind of puts it themed. But the first encouraging thing that I want to point out about this here at the beginning of this chapter is that God noticed Baruch's sorrow. God noticed Baruch's sorrow. Look at what it says in verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto thee, O Baruch. Now I just want to think about that for just a minute. Look how personal this word, this word from the Lord is, unto thee, O Baruch, unto thee. I was really touched by this as I was just kind of meditating on it, that God would take a minute and look down and say, this is unto thee, Baruch. This, this word that I'm about to give you is for you. In the middle of all that God is dealing with in Judah, in Babylon, and all the world events that are going, going on, he takes a moment to give this special word to Jeremiah's assistant. And how sweet it is for you and I when God points out to our heart and our mind some scripture, some word when we need it the most, when we need to hear it. We might be reading the word and all of a sudden just a verse pops off the page. Let me tell you, that is God pinpointing something and saying, this is for you. 
This is for you. You know, there's a new person in the church this past week, or they've been coming a little while, but this past week they emailed me. And she said, she said I, I was having an incredibly emotional Sunday. There were some just crazy events going on in her life. She said she came to church and I sat down right next to somebody in the church and, and she didn't tell me who it was, so it might have been you, some of you ladies in here, I don't know who it was. She said, but I was just weeping and talking and she said, this person just helped calm me down so much. She had been through some similar things and she just brought such peace because, she just w- because of her words. And I was thinking, I thought, you know, in the email she was gonna say something about the preaching, you know, or the music, and it helped me so much. But no, it was the compassion of just one person who gave her a word, somebody just sitting next to her at church. And I was just thinking, that's often, just like Baruch here, Jeremiah giving a word from God to Baruch. Isn't that so special? I've been on the receiving end of that many times, where somebody will come up to me and say something, and that, that is exactly what I, need, what I needed to hear at this very moment. God works like that. He will prompt people. Sometimes people come up to you and say something, I got a word from the Lord from you, you're kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. But other times you know this is, this is from the Lord. Now what was going on with Baruch here? <clears throat> Verse three. Let's look at what he says. Thou didst say, this is God speaking, thou, Baruch, didst say, woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing and I find no rest. So we don't know if Baruch said this in a prayer at some point to the Lord uh, or that God was just revealing what he knew about Baruch's mind and about what Baruch had been thinking. God reads our thoughts. God knows what we're thinking. But here's what he says. Baruch, you were, you were thinking this. You said this. Woe is me now. Hebrew, the Hebrew word for woe, <laughs> oi. <laughs> it's a passionate cry of grief or despair. And then he said, the Lord hath added. He blames God for doing this. The Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. So he blames God. But then he says the word grief. It's the Hebrew word yagan, which means anguish. To my sorrow, machab, meaning pain. You've added, you've added anguish to my pain. Pain. He's saying, I, I feel this. This is this grief that I'm, that I'm feeling. This is, a, this is a real physiological feeling. I feel this grief. I feel this sorrow. It's taken him over. Then he says, I fainted, is the Hebrew word yaga, which means to toil and to grow weary. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this sorrow, I'm feeling it, and I'm sick of it. In my sighing, he says, which is anaha, it's, that's a, a, a word of groaning. It's an expression of mental, mental or physical distress. And then he says, I find no rest. This is never ending, manuha. It means I find no peace or repose or quietness. It's like my, there is no quietness in my brain and there's no quietness in my heart. The noise of it never stops in my head. I just can't break free from all this sorrow and grief and pain. I don't know about you, but this sounds like real grief to me. But this is exactly how some, many people describe those deeper feelings of sadness and uh, depression and things like that. I mean, it sounds even worse when you just hear it in Hebrew. 
I don't know Hebrew, but I'm just taking these words. I mean, listen to this. Oi, yagan, machab, yaga, anaha, manocha. I don't know anything that meant, but that sounds horrible. Sounds even worse. <laughs> yeah. But why, Baruch? Why? Why are you feeling this way? Why is it so deep? Why are you so discouraged? It doesn't say exactly here, but we can probably get some pretty close clues to what was going on. Imagine being the assistant to the weeping prophet. <laughs> Imagine being the assistant to Jeremiah. Again, we've been reading Jeremiah for 22 weeks and going through uh, message after message of doom and gloom. But he, Baruch, has been there 40 years of hearing that. Okay, you might be sick of me standing up here talking about all this, Never. but imagine Baruch, 40 years hearing this. Not only was he hearing it, but it was his job to literally write it down. Jeremiah, I mean, just imagine that. Imagine the scene. Jeremiah says, all right, Baruch, God, Lord gave me another message today. So sit down and get the pen out. Here's, here's what he said. I'm gonna judge Israel. I'm gonna send fire. People are gonna die. And Baruch, again, uh, are you sure you heard from God? <laughs> you know, are, are you sure this is what he said? Because this is like the same. I mean, is, has, he, has he ever gonna let up? And it's just more and more and more and more he hears. There's just no rest from the bad news. And because of his association with Jeremiah, he was an outcast in every relational situation. He could never go to a party and just feel at ease. Oh, there's Baruch, don't talk to him, Mr. Bad News Guy over here. Nationally, as he looked at his nation, nobody was turning to God, there was no success, there were no people falling down and, and coming to the Lord. The judgments themselves were gonna come, and so he had that sense that God's gonna judge all these people, everybody I come in contact with, it's soon coming. And these are people I know, people I love. Then think about him personally, the reality of his own dreams that he had for his life, his ambitions for his own life, his desire to just live a peaceful life and enjoy things and his goals that he might have had. None of that was ever going to be realized because God was coming in judgment on this nation. It was just never letting up. Nothing was getting better, it only was getting worse. <clears throat> but God noticed this one man's feelings. He knew he was feeling this way and this was inside of Baruch's mind and inside of Baruch's heart and he was feeling it deeply and God noticed. God saw it. These were just emotions but God saw every single one. He says, this is what you said, Baruch. This is what you said. Woe is me. Grief to my sorrow. You said that. God notices and what an encouraging thing for us to remember this morning. God notices every faithful Baruch. All those who feel the pain, whatever grief it may be, he understands our feelings. He, he gets it. He sees it. He, all those who feel the pain, Jesus feels. And Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, as you know, it says that Jesus not only knows about it and recognizes it, He's touched with the feeling of our infirmity. The feeling, the feeling. He's touched with the feeling. Feelings. We have a high priest who feels and presents our feelings before a gracious God. 
And here, here's where you might expect now God to get really motherly <laughs> and say, Baruch, I'm so sorry. And pick him up and kind of pat him on the back. It's gonna be okay, son. And sometimes God may do that. But apparently, that is not what Baruch needed at this moment. God knew that Baruch instead needed a perspective shift. Because so easily, our discouragement and our feelings can very quickly turn into a pity party. And God wants Baruch and us to come out of that pity party and not stay in it. God desires that nobody would live in this constant feeling of discouragement and sadness and those feelings of despair. He just doesn't want us to stay that way. And so God is going to wake Baruch up out of this. And God has a real talk with him. The first thing that he needed to get through his head, Baruch, was this. Number one, that God ruled Baruch's situation. I noticed your pain, but I want you to know something, Baruch. I rule in this. Verse four, look what it says. Thus shalt thou say unto him, the Lord saith thus, behold, that which I have built, this is God speaking, that which I have built will I break down. And that which I have planted, I will pluck up, even this whole land. Again, this gives us a clue as to what really was the source of his grief. The fact that God was judging and gonna do all of this in his land. And God says, listen, I am sovereign. Look at all the eyes in there. I will do this. This speaks to God's sovereignty. Baruch, you are feeling discouraged and depressed, but God wants you to know this, that he is in control of all of these circumstances. For hundreds of years, God has been working with Israel and Judah, building them and planting them, loving them, providing for them, taking care of them and bringing them into the land and working with them for, with judges and kings and, and trying to just help them. But now, it's come to a time where God must break them down and God must pluck up what he's planted. The very people that he loves and he's been nurturing all these years. We're talking about millions of people dying in judgment. We're talking about millions of souls that are gonna be dying in judgment. Yes, Baruch, this is very deeply painful to God, to God. These are his people. You think you're sad about this, Baruch? Imagine how the creator and the lover of every one of those souls is feeling right now. God is, I think here, really comparing his pain to Baruch's pain. Here to me is the implied message. Baruch, you need to accept that God is sovereign and he is working this enormous plan to ultimately to bring about something. But you have to trust me, even in the most difficult moments. You have to trust me. I'm the one doing this. I am the one who's planted and I am the one who has to pluck up. I'm the one who built and I'm the one who has, who's gonna tear down. You have to trust me. And whether Baruch believed it or not, God was still at the wheel. God was not out of control and he was steering Israel toward this moment when the Messiah would come someday. There was this huge, enormous plan that God had all through the ages and God's working and he's bringing it and he's funneling it to this moment in Israel where the Messiah would be born and then die and then rise again. Trust the process, Baruch. Trust the process. 
Easy, easy to say when we're on this end, right? <laughs> easy to say for me when I'm on this end of all of this and say, yeah, Baruch, come on. Why aren't you just trusting God? He's the one doing it. Just put your faith in him. But in the middle, it's much more difficult, isn't it? I feel a little hypocritical actually saying, come on, Baruch, get with it, man. Because there's so many times in my life when I'm looking at the circumstance and I'm just grieving over all these things and I'm not even putting myself in God's shoes. Not even putting myself in the, uh, to think that God is sovereign and ruling over this situation and leaving it with him. Well, God lays it on a little thicker in this next verse and here's where God reveals Baruch's selfishness. Verse five. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord, but thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. Again, God doesn't say what we might expect him to say in this verse. Again, you might think he might be a little more gentle here with Baruch, but God just says it straight. Baruch, you're seeking great things for yourself, but in this case, God saw that the root of the issue here, obviously, before Baruch, was just an unbalanced self-focus. He was really focused on himself. In other words, God was saying, Baruch, this is much bigger than you. Stop being so selfish. Baruch had been blaming the Lord. The Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. And now we see that there, he had some personal aspirations that weren't being fulfilled. He was seeking great things for himself, apparently. We aren't told what these great things were. Maybe it's just that he wanted an easier life. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like being the assistant to the weeping prophet. This is not fun. And, um, and, and, and we know from uh, the scripture that his, one of his brothers, Baruch's brothers, was a kind of a high-ranking official and, uh, with the king. And so maybe he just thought, you know, I should be there. I should have more of a cushy life. And, or maybe he thought, you know, maybe I wanted to be the prophet and, and not Jeremiah. We don't know what was going on in his mind. Maybe he just wanted a promotion or a prestige or more respect or whatever. But for whatever reason, Baruch was depressed because his expectations weren't being met. I, I want great things and I'm not getting them. He couldn't get out of his funk because things weren't going how he wanted them to go. The world revolved around him and not the son of God. Just think about this from God's view. God was working his whole global agenda. I'm working out all these things. I'm dealing with all of this. And I'm about to send the most severe judgment that anyone has ever seen, or that my people have ever seen on them in their own land. This is gonna be huge. I'm gonna wipe out Jerusalem completely. There's gonna be death. People are gonna be dying. There's gonna be destruction. There's gonna be pain everywhere. And then you have Baruch over here who is concerned about great things for himself in the middle of all this. I, what somebody said was to have personal career ambitions in Jerusalem right then was like applying for promotion to chief steward on board the Titanic. <laughs> Nice work if you can get it, but someone lacking in long-term prospects. When you think about this from God's view, it's absurd. Baruch, this is, this, your, your mind is in a, in a totally different place than God's. 
You're not seeing it from his point of view. But let's be clear here. God does not hate Baruch. (laughs) God is not being mean. He's not saying that Baruch is unimportant. Precisely the opposite. He's saying, Baruch, you are important to God and to my, my plan. But your personal agenda is not important. God wanted him to take his eyes off of himself and pour himself into the work and the plan of God. It's not about you, Baruch. God made all of us to be a crucial piece of God's plan, a crucial piece of this grand thing that he's working out. And God wants all of us to not seek great things for ourselves. He says, uh, in some ways, God's saying, I want you to come, I want to use you in this plan, but if you're going to seek great things for yourself, I want you, I want you to check that at the door. You seek great things for the Lord. I loved watching God use everybody this week at, at the drama. What a, what a microcosm of what we're talking about, just everybody doing their part, everybody having a, a little portion of this grand thing that kind of worked together for God's glory, and every little piece was important but everybody kind of had to check themselves, all their own agenda at the door and just come in and say, this is for the glory of the Lord. And whether I'm singing in the choir and I'm in the back row and nobody could see me and I'm just, I'm just opening my mouth or I'm a grip in the back that's just taking things out or whatever, whatever we might be doing, we're just gonna be used. I'm gonna have joy because I'm being used by God. It's not about us. It's about the saving of souls, it's about his plan for saving souls. And lastly, that's what we see here, and that is that God is faithful in our situation. And God is faithful to help Baruch. He promised the salvation for Baruch. Look what he says in the last part of verse five, but thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. It says Baruch's life will be a prey. This means that he will escape with only his life. Wherever you go, here's what you get, Baruch. You get your life. (laughs) But that means a lot when Jerusalem is burning down and everybody around you is dying. (laughs) That's huge. I can't help but think of Joel and Lorianne right now. Matchek over in Ukraine. If you live in Ukraine today, just to have your life is a prey. Just to have your life as a prey is something to be celebrating right now. Or someone like Johnny Erickson Tata, amazing lady, who was so, she, at 17 years old, she dove in the water, hit, uh, broke her neck, became a quadriplegic. She be- became so depressed after becoming a quadriplegic, eventually, she, she said, I'm just waiting to get, for God to do something, and to get out of the wheelchair, and then I would be happy. But she said, I realized I, had to do the hard work of believing God. And she, what she meant by that was to take God's word and to truly start to believe it. And she said it's hard work to believe, to be happy in all things. And so she went through that. And, but she really has said, now I am so grateful that I'm simply just alive. To be able to do something for the Lord. And she has for so many years. So here's my question for us. Can we be happy if this is all we get? Just our life. But a better way to put that for a believer might be this. Can you be happy just knowing that you're saved? 
and that you have eternal life. If the rest of your life is pain and heartache, one day of bad news after another in the People's Republic of California, <laughs> can you still be happy because you have a home in heaven and that's where you really belong? God promises us salvation. He doesn't ever promise us, he doesn't promise every person health, wealth, prosperity beyond our wildest dreams. I'm not sure where that idea came from. Yes, a moral life and following the Lord is a better life. In the end, it always is. But always healthy, always wealthy, always prosperous on this earth. That kind of teaching sounds to me like seeking great things for yourself. That's what it sounds like. And God specifically told Baruch, seek not great things for yourself. Don't do that. Because that kind of thinking will end up, end up getting us depressed. Our life is not to be focused on great things for ourselves. It's about seeking great things for the glory of God. And that really is the most rewarding and fulfilling life. And we know that. We just gotta keep doing the hard work of believing that. And we do our part in God's kingdom. If you think about it here, that's the overall message to Baruch. Just do your part for the Lord, Baruch. Don't worry about your ambitions. It's the small things that you do that are gonna bring so much glory to God. Be a good worker, and for you and me it's the same way. Be a good worker, lead someone to Jesus, raise a godly family, support a missionary. These small things, in the end those little things honor the Lord so much. They're the greatest things that we'll look back on and say that, I'm so grateful I did that. So grateful I did that. Hudson Taylor once said this, a little thing is just a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. <laughs> A little thing is just a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. But not a great thing for us, but a great thing for God. God is glorified greatly by the little things that we do for his glory. Maybe this is another reason, as I was thinking about it, that Baruch put this at the end of the book rather than when, it, when it first, the message first came to him. Because maybe this is his way of saying, God gave me this word a long time ago, but it's the thing that has helped me remain faithful to keep doing the work all these years. And here I am still believing this word that he gave me so long ago. So let's be a Baruch. Let's say great things for the Lord and not worry so much about ourselves. okay? Lord, we bring this to you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.